everybody, this is Eric Frankhouse from EFP. It has been a while, but I am back. Gen Con is over, deadlines are slowly coming to a finish, and I got some time to get back into the podcasting scene. With that said, though, I did record a bunch of interviews while I was at Gen Con. I'll be releasing those over the next couple of months, along with some new ones that are coming up. I've had a lot of questions to go back into the deep dive, and I'll still keep doing these self-help. So with that said, don't be surprised if you see more than one release coming out, you know, a week. Today, though, in episode 32, we're going to be talking about older games. I had my friend from Denver come out here, Alan. Uh, we got to play Cyberpunk, which he has never played. He's a Shadowrun fan. I want to dive into why the nostalgia of playing old games are awesome. So let's get into this. The older games are something amazing. We all grew up playing somewhere, from D&D to Battletech to Shadowrun. We've all played a game at some point in time that we miss. And that is what this weekend was for me. My friend Kelly and Alan were in town, and neither one of them had played Cyberpunk before. And it's not a hard system to learn, as long as you skip net running, which we'll talk about later. Uh, so I want to talk about why we play older games. What's the point of going back? I know we get new and better things all the time, but just like with video games, going back and playing Mario, there is something about it. And I wanted to be able to share Cyberpunk with my friends and walk them down the same bloody, arm-missing streets of Night City. So we're going to go over what you learned from them, play for fun, share your game, play the best parts, and then we're going to go into some special stuff from what I think about what happened this weekend, and of course go into the closing. So let's do this. What can we learn from older games? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, all the games we play today have come from something. And those older games happen to be where most of those kind of transition from. So in older games, there's a lot to teach and learn. Mistakes included. But you still learn from mistakes more than you do success. Those mistakes are what you learn not to do again. So let's talk about Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is an unforgiving system. And I mean that in the way that if players make a mistake, they're probably going to eat it in a, in a hail of lead and fucking bullets. It's not going to go well. This isn't Shadowrun where you can keep soaking. If a body part takes eight points, it's gone. Now, with that said, this is an unforgiving system. It's about taking cover, about being smart, about having a conversation before jumping in with guns blazing in Night City. So it's unforgiving. And I've learned from that. But sometimes that unforgiving is fun. I've also learned that uh, in newer games I've played from this, you can't always just blow body parts off people. It only works in things like Star Wars and Shadowrun or any form of transhumanism or, or somewhere where places can be, parts can be replaced. But it's cool. And Shadows of the Demon Lord, I think, took from this too, with the idea of rolling backgrounds and building around them. There's something amazing about doing that, and Cyberpunk brings that to the table as well. There's this... I know where this came from. Like when I play Shadow, or not Shadow Run, but when I play Shadows of the Demon Lord, I'm like, oh yeah, man, I remember doing histories for Cyberpunk, and sometimes you'd end up naked and dead and roll a new character. There's something cool about it. There's no weight, there's no overthinking what you were going to be. Instead, you rolled and then built around what you rolled, and it made some pretty memorable and amazing moments. 
And then I have notes on simple design that I've learned from it. The system is literally an attribute, a skill, and a D10. And having different ranks in your skill allows you to succeed in more things. That's really easy for a player to look at or a master skill list and go, oh yeah, because I have an eight in medical, I can do surgery on the fly. It's like tiers of success built into what your skill is. I really enjoy it, and I would recommend doing that with some of your own games. Take some notes on them. Because now when I'm running Pathfinder in the beta, I'm now looking at the idea of success margins of five, but instead I'm looking at, holy shit, they did the same thing. They have the idea of being untrained, trained, expert, mastered, and legendary. And those allow you to unlock and then also get new feats that you couldn't get before. So look around when you're playing your old game. See if there's anything you can bring into your new game. Remember, you are playing an old game to have fun. Play for fun. Play for nostalgia. Play for the things that you remember when you were younger. Dig them up and see if they're still worth playing again. So make sure you're playing and showcasing the funnest parts of the game you're about ready to put in front of your friends that they've probably never played before. First of all, fun rules first. Make sure you're using the good stuff. If there's a setting, pick your favorite for that thing. If it's the old AD&D, pick the setting that you loved. There was a golden age of settings during that with Dragonlance and Dark Sun and Planescape and Ravenloft and Birthright and Alquidim. Like, there's so many things. So if you want to play something of, you know, AD&D variety, pick your setting. And for Cyberpunk, it was Night City for me. There are other things that actually use the engine, the fusion engine, but... God damn it, if I just want, didn't want to play that. With the new trailer out for Cyberpunk, we were all in. So make sure you're doing that. Remember old games. They're old. New people probably have never played them. So be ready to explain, reread, retouch up on your rules. And then here's the best part. Older games, it's pretty easy to find stuff online to make your life easier. I mean, shit, there's somebody who took the Fusion Engine and redid it in an advanced version to clean up a lot of the problems with net running and vehicle combat. Now, we didn't do that. I wanted to play the game we'd played before. But if it's something you're going to dive into and play more than once, maybe look around on the web. See if you can find some solutions to the problems that you remember in those old games. Cyberpunk has a ton of them. But there's a lot of fun that came with it. And it was worth me putting in the extra hour to read through combat and remember how it works. Share your game. Share the memories, share the things that you loved about it back when you were younger. Or if maybe just this group hasn't played, maybe it's not super old, but it's old to them. Maybe they're a younger crowd. So start with what you want to play. Uh, take a few quick notes, the things that you love from the setting or the rules. Make sure you have those in mind as you sit down at the table with the players and get ready to explain your love and nostalgia. But don't go too deep. This is about them getting their own experience out of it. And the whole idea of actions speak louder means a lot because nobody wants to hear about your character for two hours in a game that's, you know, 20 years old. Find others that want to play it. With Cyberpunk coming out, this was very easy. We're all so excited for the video game. The idea of sitting down and playing in a transhumanism, no other races besides human and cults and organizations was really appealing to us. And we all play on Emerald Grid, which is a fantastic community for shadow run play a living community but we wanted to play this game or they wanted to play the game that the the new video game is based around 
And I was excited for that, especially coming off of taking third at Iron GM with Witcher, built by the same people using the same engine, to see the improvements they've made upon it. And then think about, they're coming out with a 2077 tabletop. So I wanted to share that stuff with them. I wanted them to be able to remember why I played. Do a one-shot. Make sure you don't waste everyone's time in a setting that's, you know, antiquated, if it's antiquated, if they don't love it. Instead, run a one-shot. Make sure it's something they enjoy. And if they like more, it's not hard to turn a one-shot into three, into a campaign. You never know. Sometimes they may love this old system. I know we really enjoyed Cyberpunk, and they were playing part of Trauma Team, which is like Dock Wagon for Shadowrun. When you play this game, only play the best parts. Pick your favorite things and focus on them. Remember how I mentioned in the beginning that net running and, and, and cyberpunk was trash? It's because it was fucking trash. It was minesweeper in the worst possible ways. If you ran that, people would leave and go get food while you finished up with a net runner, literally just trying to get information. It was an old system made in the 80s, and we didn't know what the internet was going to be back like back then. We didn't know it was going to be like it is today. Ideas were far-fetched, and look where we are. So we skipped that. We didn't do net running. You just pay somebody to get it. That's the solution. has been the solution for most people to play that game. So highlight the best rules and leave the bad aside. Just don't bring them to the table. Make sure you're playing the fun combat rules. Things like, for me, full autos were amazing, even though... Kelly's character apparently had armor on during Trauma Team that when I full auto her point blank just ricocheted off. But those moments are memorable. I sprayed 30 rounds at her and they just went everywhere. Those kind of things are memorable. Find the best RP rules for your system. If you're playing the old Legend of the Five Rings and you love the social combat, the tea ceremonies, things like that, bring those forefront and make them fun and be transparent. This is a one-shot. Tell the players, hey, we're going to be doing an RPG-heavy social thing and everyone needs to be in character for it. Or tell them this is going to be fucking gunfire and full automatics and explosions and death. And that's what we did for our cyberpunk game. Do this at the table before you start playing. But only play the best parts. I cannot enforce that enough. If you are playing the parts that suck, the game is going to suck. We all know that when we're playtesting, we're slogging through things we don't like. We all know that when we play a game and we don't like mass combat for ships and starfinders, we glaze over that stuff. Same thing, and you already know. You got that privilege of knowing the bad parts from the old game. Because I remember going to get pizza for two hours at Pizza Hut when I was a kid playing Cyberpunk because a Netrunner decided he wanted to see if this person was dirty, and we all went, well, fuck, and left. There was points in times when we would play a West End game while one GM was running the Netrunning. That's how bad those rules were. But the rest of the game was just crunch and fun and just amazing. So... Play the best parts. Don't waste your time. Normally I'd have a bumper here, but being gone for so long, I don't want to advertise anything. Instead, I'm going to answer some questions from callers. One specific question about passive stealth. Hi, Eric. It's Colin at uh, Spike Pit. Just calling in about your episode on um, passive stealth roles. I think that's a really good idea. I'm going to be implementing it ASAP in my next game. It's caused me a fair bit of grief over recent weeks um however i have got a question for you how would you handle that in a group situation currently um i if, if i make characters roll we do a 
say there's six characters rolling, if three pass, we kind of take that as an average pass, if, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, so I'd appreciate any thoughts on that, mate. Catch you later. Hi, Eric, it's me again, Colin at Spike Pit, just following on from what I was saying before. I'm imagining with the system you're talking about, with passive stealth rolls, you could also more or less do passive anything rolls given the right circumstances. So I would also welcome your thoughts on that idea. I hope that's fairly self-explanatory. Cheers then, catch you later. Oh, and I'm enjoying the podcast, by the way. Colin, thank you for calling in. And yeah, okay, so I'm going to answer the first part first. Let's talk about stealth. First off, the game was 5e. In January, we started a new campaign setting and that I designed and we really wanted to play, and I had a character that was a spy. Well, anytime you get a spy, and I literally, no one saw Iris or met her real version of her because she could wear masks and do a bunch of stuff for seven sessions. The players didn't know who in the hell she was playing. So... The passive stealth idea came in because passive perception has existed. And the idea is, as you're walking around just doing random things, everyone should have an average amount of perception that they're good at. And if the GM wants to add modifiers to that because it's pouring out or it's cloudy or it's dark, use your passive perception. What this does is allow you to quickly say, you have a pretty high perception, so what you notice is X. Well, I was like, God, man, people rolling stealth every round is a pain in my ass. There's got to be a better way to do this. It's like, well, if you're really sneaky and you're telling me you're sneaking and you're not in a combat scenario, I looked at invisibility and unless you're in a combat scenario with invisibility, you're just in invisible. So I was like, why can't I do that for stealth? If she's running around with a 2025 and she's tr actively trying to be stealthy, you could easily hide from almost everybody. You're good at it. And until she was taking an action or got within a certain distance of a person, there was no rules necessary. When she's tracking them through the woods, she's great at it. I added penalties and modifiers and things like that. And if she ever got spotted, then there was a roll-off between her and the other person. So that's how that came to be. Now, for a group of people, this did come up. There was one person in their party that was not stealthy. And everybody else had a decent amount. I'm like, well, do you guys all want to try passiving through here and see how it goes? And they said, yes. And what I did was those who were spotted... Similar to, like, say, a video game where the one guy is aware of a person but not aware of somebody else, they were aware of that person, and they approached him. Because just because you're stealthing, unless it's a deadly area, they're going to approach you and ask you what you're doing there. And that's what they did. So they walked up to the paladin and were like, listen, man, you cannot be here. This is not the proper area. Or is it even, even the house that you're a part of? While the other one stealthed by, he got booted out. I found a way to meet up with them later. Their average stealth together was good. The other thing that you can do is, if you want it to be passive stealth, but you don't want everyone passing through, you could tell everybody, hey, this is a combat area. You're going to be passing within 30 people. Everyone roll. And just have that roll compass that encounter instead of tactical movement of five foot, five foot by five foot. But absolutely, you can do it as a group. Now, your second part about passiving other things Yes, you can. And you're right. It is situational. And in a D20 system where it is a roll versus a DC, passive can work pretty well. So that same paladin I spoke about earlier, while he's not the stealthiest person, he is really good at judging the intentions and motives of other people. So his passive sense motive is like a 25. And if someone was a bad liar, 
I just typed to him because we were playing in person, but secrets we either pass notes or type to one another. I was like, yeah, you know, this guy's not only lying, there's a fear behind his voice. You're pretty sure he's scared of someone else and it isn't you. And that allowed him to pry and do what he wanted. Other people would try to do passive and I can lie right to their face. The only time I make rolls have to happen, or there's a couple circumstances. One, if there's combat or a detrimental thing that could happen upon failure. Two, if it's the role is going to add tension to the moment, I make sure those are rolled out because to me, story is everything. And last, and probably the most important of all of these, if it feels like the role is something that the player wants, if he would rather roll to flex his might, just ask him, do you want a pass of this or roll? It's a non-combat scenario, but there's always that chance for a crit. And if you have a system where increments of success matter, they may wish to roll instead. But what I do not allow is on failure for them to go, well, I'm going to try rolling instead. They have to give me a reason in which they would do it, change the scene, change the set, or change their approach in order to re-roll. If you fail a sense motive on somebody, you don't just get to roll all of a sudden. Like, he doesn't seem like he's lying. The player's like, I know he's lying. I'm going to roll. Like, how, though? Are you going to prod? What are you going to do? And they have to ask more questions to dive deeper into that conversational tree to be able to draw something out from them. Because just allowing a re-roll is no worse than, and this is why I had a passive to a game, hey, make a knowledge check. Oh, I have that. I'll roll. Ooh, me too. And four other people roll. That's what you're trying to avoid with passive. You're trying to make it so one person notices and they're getting the spotlight because they are good at what they do. I hope this helps you. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Don't worry. I'm back full time with Gen Con being done. We've got some interviews coming up. And here's a question for you, Colin. What would you like me to cover on the show? Anything I've missed? Anything you would like to hear a show on? Keep on rocking and I'm going to go on with the show. So that's it for EFP, episode 32, playing old games. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I've been gone, but I'm excited to be back. A little sick, broken microphone, yada yada, shit happens, life. But this episode was about playing something old because I just got to do it with a friend for the first time I got to meet in person. And it was a blast. And I loved playing it. Like, enough to where we are talking about playing it again. So, I hope you guys found something in this episode that helps you out. I do have one small update. Um, I'm going to be recording our Blades in the Dark and Twitch streaming it pretty soon. I will warn, this is a very dark setting piece that we are playing. It is very adult. It's not for children. It should not be listened to at work unless you got headphones on. Because people are going to go, what in the hell is happening? So, that's it from me. Just like I asked Colin, if there's anything you guys want to hear on the show, call in, leave me a message. The more conversation we have, the better. Anchor just keeps getting better and better and improved. If you like the show, call in. All right, everybody, that's it for me today. Watch, listen, learn. Now go roll some dice, because I'm going to go play Starfinder. <laughs>